Hey, Forge family. In our last podcast, that was podcast number two of the Joseph story, we heard of the hammer blows of death, defilement, and disqualification that fell on Jacob and his sons. As a result, Jacob shakes up the order of authority, if not the order of inheritance, among his 12 sons. He elevates son number 11, who was born, he was a firstborn son to his beloved Rachel. Now, Mama, Rachel, has been deceased. She was one of the deaths. And he, he, this son named Joseph, now his name means he increases. Could be prophetically spoken as the Lord is the one who increases as well. Okay, but he, he is lifted out of the mix of his brothers and Jacob dresses Joseph in an overseer's garment. Literally a many-parted tunic. Ran from the neck to the ankles and had long sleeves. And, <clears throat> and uh, this, this young man is 17 years old and is placed as the manager of both the, the family business over the flocks and herds, the breeding and the sale of, the, of all that wealth. Okay? But he's also established as the shepherd over his older brothers. See, this is not the bratty little Sunday school story, the storyteller who wears the many-colored coat who comes to say, Daddy, Daddy, my brothers did a bad thing. That's not the sense of the text. Okay, we've got a 17-year-old young man with, a, with man-sized responsibility. Okay, now immediately after this, Joseph is given a pair of dreams by God, both of which reveal his future rule over his brothers and literally over the whole family, mom, dad, and his brothers. Now, his brothers hated him. They hated the, the role that he was given. They hated the garment that his father had given him. Okay, And they, they make it clearly known they want nothing to do with him. They can't even greet him civilly. <clears throat> the text then says, Jacob sends Joseph 63 miles north overland, First to Shechem, and then beyond that, to Dothan, to find the flocks. Okay? And as he comes over the rise toward his brothers, the garment that he's wearing is instantly identifiable, and his brothers go, oh, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. Nobody's here. We're in the wilderness. No one will know. But Reuben, firstborn son, steps in and says, no, no, let's not shed his blood, guys. We'll just throw him in this pit, this dry cistern. And let nature take its course. Don't shed his blood. Just let him die in the, in the bottom of that pit. And then he, he absents himself. Somehow he goes out around the hill and behind the hedge and around. While the rest of the family sits down to have a meal. And they raise their eyes over their lamb sandwiches and, and hummus. And here comes a caravan. Ishmaelite caravan. Ishmaelite guards probably. It's a Midianite caravan. Or it came out of Midian. And Judah has an idea. Judah says, hey, there's no profit in killing him and shedding his blood. Let's sell him. Let's make a profit out of this deal and get him out of our hair. So they pull him out of the pit and sell him into slavery in Egypt. The text says that caravan takes him down, sells him on the slave block in Egypt, and he is sold into the household of the captain of the bodyguard, Pharaoh's officer. Potiphar. Meanwhile, here comes Reuben. 
comes around the backside, gets to the lip of the pit, and he looks in and whoop, he's gone. Joseph is gone. And he cries out and says, what am I going to do? Because the whole point of his rescue was to lift Joseph out of that pit and get him back home to Jacob to ingratiate himself back to dear old dad so he can be son number one again. Only he fails. All right, Forge family. God's providence in moving Jacob ahead of the family down to Egypt is set in motion. God sets about to fulfill his prophesied word to grandfather, great-grandfather Abraham, where God said to Abraham, your descendants are going to go into captivity and slavery for 400 years. And then God said he would bring them out. All right? And God's setting the stage for that by sending Joseph ahead of the family. So let's pray. Lord God, Lord God, we do not see the end from the beginning of our lives. Only you do. We don't discern our future, but it is already established in your hands. We humble ourselves and we give thanks to you for your love and care that will sustain us on that faith journey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, let's read Genesis 38, verses 1 to 5. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite, whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. Then she conceived, and she bore a son and named him Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. And she bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at Kazim that she bore him. All right, family. See, uh, probably you've never heard any teaching out of Genesis 38. You've looked at it. You've read it. You've been appalled by it. Okay? It's raw, dark, twisted scripture. It's filled with death and sexual gamesmanship and deceit as well as some hinted at consequences of the selling of Joseph that fall on Judah personally. Now the author, the editor, the compiler of Genesis by Holy Spirit inserts this dark account to dramatically contrast with the purity of Joseph's dealings with the Lord in subsequent chapters. Remember, all scripture comes by Holy Spirit, and it's to instruct and to warn and to reprove and to correct and to establish us in righteousness. All right, verse 1. Judah leaves the family. He's had it with his brothers. Enough of this goes down to Adulam. Okay, it's about a three-mile run downhill from Bethlehem, and he hangs out with a Canaanite guy, best buds, okay, named Hira. Okay, now, while he's there, Judah sees the daughter of Shua. We never get her name, all right? But there's just three verbs. He took her, he lay with her. Okay, he saw her, he took her, he lay with her. And that, that's equivalent of saying he married her, all right? At least in the Canaanite culture, all right? But this woman is unnamed, okay? Verse 3, Judah's wife gets pregnant, bears a son named Ur. 
Verse 4, second son named Onan. Okay? Now, Ur spelled backwards, first son spelled backwards is evil. It's, it's Ra. Or Ra. Okay? From the beginning. That's just a hint of what's going to go on here. Number four, you know, second son, Onan. Okay? His name means might and power and vigor, even virility. All right? And then in verse 5, the third son, Shelah, okay? Now, we've got about 25 years here, 22 to 25 years that com get compressed in this chapter, okay? In these verses. In, in one chapter of Scripture, it's 25 years. Okay, and it corresponds with what's going on in Egypt, all right, with Joseph. As... As this progresses, we need to read chapter 38, verses 6 to 11. So here's what happens. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. So he's, he's a, enough of an adult to be married. So he, he goes out and he takes for her a woman, a Canaanite woman named Tamar. Her name means palm tree. Okay, But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. All right, guys, let's just pause. This is first mentioned in the scripture. It's one of the principles of interpretation. It's the first time that God intentionally takes the life of one man. Where God says, enough. I've had it with you. This is so bad. You're done. Okay, let's continue. Okay, Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, second son, brother-in-law, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring by your brother. This is the this is the application of the Leverite law. Remember that was talked about when we studied uh, the book of Ruth. All right, verse ten. Excuse me, verse nine. And, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So it came about that when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give her offspring, not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing to the Lord in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord took his life also. Okay, two sons, dead. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. He's too young for marriage, so when that happens, okay, we'll take care of this problem. For he thought on the side, this is parenthetically, I'm afraid that he too, Shelah too, may die like his brothers, unquote. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. All right, family. Uh, let's get to this, and then we can zoom out, all right? Judah chooses the wife for his son, Ur. Okay, but Ur is evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, uh, and, and for that sin to have been of such a magnitude... In the Canaanite culture, it had to be egregious, aggressive, and over the top. It was, it was just beyond even Canaanite darkness. And God said, uh-uh, you're dead. Then Judah instructs Onan, you have a duty here. Raise up sons by your sister-in-law to inherit and continue your brother's line. Okay? But Onan says to himself, these are not my offspring. Okay, because... Now there's only two sons left, and Onan, can see, he, he's ready to inherit two-thirds of the inheritance. He gets the double portion when his dad dies. Okay? 
<clears throat> and so what he does is the text, the Hebrew text is he repeatedly uses Tamar for sex. But at the very moment of ejaculation, at the moment of his orgasm, he withdraws from her body and he spills his semen on the ground. Okay, this is technically called quatus interruptus. Okay, and it's descriptive of a, a form of birth control. Now, trust me, this has nothing to do with birth control. This has to do with deviance because he knew exactly what he was doing. Okay, I'm not going to bear children, but I'm going to use this woman. All right? So as a result, there's no offspring. Okay? Now, we're not, again, I said, we're not talking about birth control here. In, in the ancient world, there were all kinds of herbal and, and, and barrier-type methods that were used by women to not get pregnant. It was the provenance of the woman, not the man. Okay? So, again, a second way that Onan is out of compliance. Okay? Verse 10 said, He displeased the Lord, and the Lord took his life. It's very simple. Now, why is God displeased? We're going to get to that. Verse 11, Judah, okay, Judah's sort of beside himself. He, he instructs his daughter-in-law to return to her father's house and live as a widow in a state of being betrothed to Shelah, his third son. But as an aside, Judah says, I'm afraid Shelah will die like his brothers. Un unquote. You see, uh, Judah believed that Tamar was toxic, that she was responsible, not the Lord, that Tamar was responsible for the death of his sons. We would say, that she was a black widow. Okay? Men marry her and they die. Okay. All, all Judah knew was this woman has bad juju. And I gotta get her out of my house and get her away from my son, Shayla. So he sends her home to live as a widow, but he still promises someday we're gonna get this marriage with my third son worked out. All right. Forge family, time to zoom out. Get away from this. Okay, get up. Get high, look down on it, try to figure out what is God doing? Okay, this is not, it was not God's intent for Jacob and his sons to marry Canaanite wives. Do you remember? Rebekah sent Jacob away from the family to the family compound to get a wife in, with, from Laban's family. Esau had already, ha already had two Canaanite wives and Rebekah said, they are killing me. My soul is going to die if I have to be around these women. Okay? She got it. Jacob got it. But Jacob's sons didn't. They, and they didn't get God's intent on the matter. Okay. Second, why would God go to this extent to see children born to Judah's family? He's knocked off son number one, who was over-the-top evil, mega evil. He's knocked off son number two, Okay, who violates the Leverite marriage law and uses his sister-in-law. Okay. <clears throat> well, thirdly, Judah, and the clarity here is Judah is the one of the 12 sons of Jacob who carries the seed that, that runs from Eve to Messiah. 
And there has to be a way for Judah to pass that seed. Now he's got three sons, okay? Two are dead. You have two flagrant violations going on here. One is evil of a magnitude that is never before seen, apparently. And you have the Leverite marriage thing and the, and the use of this woman just as a, a plaything. <clears throat> and the result, no offspring. All right, now zoom back in. Come back to the text. Let's read chapter, tw- uh, chapter 38, verses 12 to 19. Here's what it says. Now, after a considerable time, many days is another way to translate that, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. Okay, we never get her name. All we know is that at least three times she had sex with her husband. We don't know anything about her, any of their relationship whatsoever. She had three sons. Two of them are now dead. And she dies. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah. He and his friend Hira, the Adolamite. And it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? Verse 17, He said, Therefore, I will send you a kid from the flock. She said, and moreover, Will you give me a pledge that you will send it? Judah responds, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceives by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and went on and put on her widow's garments. She goes home to Papa. All right, family. Uh, okay, we've just gone from death. Now we go to defilement and, and what looks like prostitution. Okay, so Judah's wife dies, unnamed She's gone. Judah mourns her. When that period of time is done, he and his buddy, Hira, head off for the sheep shearing. Now, in Canaan, sheep shearing had a festive atmosphere. It was one of the harvest festivals. Okay, it was hard work. Dusty, nasty, hard work. But it, you're, you're harvesting the wool. Okay, <clears throat> it's a big time deal. It's part of, it's part of the wealth that is is in your family, okay? There's feasting, there's drinking, and, and there was expected to be sexual encounters at these festivals. <clears throat> Verse 13, Tamar hears of it, and she knows Jacob has no intent to give her in marriage to Shelah. So she gets herself out of the widow's weeds, you know, and she wraps herself in literally a long shawl. She wraps her body in it, and she covers her face. She is going to become anonymous. She's hiding her identity, and she interdicts his route. She gets ahead of him. She hustles up the road and, and sits outside the gate at a town called Enaim. The town's name means the opening of the eyes. All right, Forge family, eyes are going to be opened, but not in that city. It's coming. Get ready. All right. 
Judah arrives, sees her, gets himself over to that woman by the side of the road. He may have been on an animal, donkey, mule, camel, out of the saddle, and he immediately enters into direct negotiations so he can come in and have intercourse with her. Now, whether this is lifestyle for Judah, we don't know. But there's no hesitation, okay? There's no hesitation here. He doesn't hem and haw, doesn't go, uh, my wife just died. Uh, uh. He just goes right to it and says, what do I give you that I can come in and lay with you? And she replies, and he, and he offers a kid. He offers a goat, a little a baby goat, which will grow to become a full-sized goat. All right? And she asks for security. She asks for a deposit. Okay? And he says, what should I give you? And she says, give me your cylindrical seal, okay, which is hung on a thong or a cord around his neck inside of his garments, and give me your staff. All right. Now, these are common implements that businessmen used all over the ancient Near East. One is a, a brick-hard um, cast. You know, it's made of clay, okay, but it's been, it's been fired, so it's hard okay, and durable. It's a cylindrical seal that, that is marked with the identification of the owner. It's the chop, if you will. If you're, if you're in, in the Far East, in China or Japan, uh, in China or Japan, they, they have what's called a chop, and you, you mark documents with your personal chop, which is your identification. That's what was, in, in, uh, if you will, engraved or cut into the face of this cylindrical seal. And in soft clay or in wax, hot wax, you could roll the seal and sign contracts. Make bargains, guarantee delivery, etc. All right. Second, he hands over his staff. Okay, this isn't just a hunk of wood. This is a, a wood a staff that has a carved knob or some figure on top of the staff that is personal. It has the chop. It has the identifying marks on it that this belongs to Judah. Okay, and all over the ancient Near East. They use these, and when archaeologists go into those, those nations and, and start their excavations, there they are. The cylindrical seals and the staff that, are, have, been, that have been uh, preserved. All right, he delivers the security. He lays with Tamar, and verse 18 says, She conceives by her father-in-law. And verse 19 she gets herself home. She gets herself up out of that town and goes home, redresses herself as a widow, and sits down in daddy's house. Now let's read verses 20 to 23. When Judah sent the kid by his friend, the Adullamite, that's Hera, to receive the pledge, you know, the exchange, all, you know, this is, you know, you get back your seal, you get back the cord, you get back your staff, okay, from the woman. He, he arrives there. Didn't find her. And Hero's asking around. He says, uh, where's the temple prostitute who was by the road of Anaim? But they said, we don't have any temple prostitutes here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there's been, there's been no temple prostitute there. Then Judah said, let her keep them, lest we become a, li- a laughingstock. After all, I sent this kid, and if you did not find her, 
but you didn't find her, so it's done. We'll just cover it all up. I don't want to. I don't want to get outed on this. Okay, family. This business, this reference to the temple prostitute. Okay, Hebrew doesn't differentiate, but the ancient Canaanite culture does. Okay, and so that's what Hira asked about. He asked about where's the temple prostitute. Okay. The Canaanites worshipped a pantheon of gods and goddesses. Okay? The fertility goddess was Ashtoreth. Okay? And if you lacked fertility in your flocks and herds or in your own marriage bed, you got yourself down to her temple and you engaged with the temple prostitutes as a means to prompt that fertility. It was wicked in the extreme. It was a disease-ridden business. All right? So that's what Hera goes to look for. And she's not there. So he comes back and he says, whoop, tried. Nobody there. Never been anybody by that qualification in that town. And Judah just blows it off, says, let it go. You know, I don't want, I don't want to have, I don't want to be a laughing stock. Okay? Verse 24 to 26 says this. Now it came about. Three months later, that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent her father-in-law saying, sent to her father-in-law saying, please examine and see whose signet if you will, seal and cord and staff are these. And Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not have relationship with her, relations with her again. All right, Forge family. <sighs> okay. She's found pregnant. It's, uh, it's communicated to her father in law. In his mind, that can only be fornication. It can only be harlotry. She played the part of the prostitute somewhere. Okay? And he calls for the maximal penalty. Okay? Even under the law. You know, there's, there's stoning, and then there's stoning and burning. And he just goes right to the, to the maximal penalty. And he says, bring her out and burn her. So she's on the way. She's being brought whether brought or dragged, we don't know. Okay, brought. And she sends ahead of her this cylinder seal, the cord, and the staff. The identifying marks of the man who has made me pregnant. Now picture Judah. He goes from hot rage to white, pale, and shaking because he recognizes those are mine. Now note, please note, in middle Assyrian culture and in their writings and in the Hittite writings of that day, of the time of Jacob, okay, in the Leverite laws of that day in those cultures, again, it was if your older brother dies, then the next brother in line takes up the responsibility to raise up children. And that went down the line, brother to brother to brother, until it would be possible for the father-in-law to raise up children from his daughter-in-law and it would not be incest. 
Now, the Hebrews didn't do that, okay? But in that culture, in the Canaanite culture, it was legit for Judah to raise up children from Tamar. He just wanted nothing to do with that. And he's captured. He's caught in it. Judah owns up. He confesses. Okay? I did not give her to my son, Shelah, as I promised. And in, as far as that's concerned, she is more righteous than I. And this is, this, in some senses, this is where Judah begins, he just begins to turn away from the deviancy of Canaanite stuff and his own issues. See, he confesses, he acknowledges that this woman was more righteous than he. <clears throat> okay? And then he had, no longer has any sexual relationship with her at all. Okay? But she's pregnant by tw with twins. Look at verses 27 to 30. I'm not going to read them, but the sense of it is she comes to full term, and once again, the Lord God overturns the primogeniture rules. Okay? It is the secondborn named Perez, okay, who is given the, the role in the family, and the Lord passes the seed through Perez to Boaz to King David to the Messiah. All right, Forge family, we got to zoom out. Um, again, here is God at work here in this mess. This is sort of maximal moral mess in the Old Testament. There's bad stuff, but this is about as bad as it gets. Okay? But the stage is set to show the near spiritual collapse in Jacob's sons. The stage is set to highlight God's dealings with Joseph, even in slave captivity, in the next chapters. And third, God starts a line of non-Hebrew women to bear children to carry the seed all the way to Messiah. And he starts here with Tamar, Canaanite. Then we studied Ruth. She was a Moabite. Then, excuse me, go to Rahab is the prostitute on the wall in Jericho, and then Ruth, the Moabite, and then Bathsheba. Now, because of their faith and because of their passion to bear godly children, God deems them worthy to carry Messiah's seed. All right, zoom back in. Okay, number one, you may think of yourself in some area, or you may know someone near you, or you just look into the media and kind of go, that person is so far down the drain. Sin has made a ruin of their lives. Their life is a disaster. And then, what? God comes. God can rescue God can redeem. God can twist and turn and straighten the crooked. See, his answer is, you remember the, the little song 
that we, we have sung, it says, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me, etc. Okay? It is God who steps in to make a way where there seems to be no way. He did it for Judah. If he did it for Judah, he will do it for you. And he will do it for those people that he has picked out and that you pray for to see them shifted and turned and redeemed so that the grace of God can pour into the lives of the most damaged, lost, broken, guilty people. All right, number two. Here in chapter 38, God so wants his people to be holy, to be like him, to be righteous. And he is setting the stage to move them all out of Canaan, away from the astonishing deviant stuff that the Canaanites are doing. And he's going to move them into Egypt. Now, once they get to Egypt, Hebrews will be segregated from the culture. You see, they were hairy guys, okay? Beards, long hair. Well, hair was an abomination to the Egyptians, Okay? So culturally, they're separated. We want nothing to do with the Hebrews. Let's put them down in Goshen. And second, that ostracism of the Hebrews down to Goshen, downriver to the north of, the, of most of the, the cultural and religious centers in Egypt, that cut them off from being exposed to the worldly, deviant, awful religion of Egypt. So God incubates them for 400 years to prepare them to be his holy people. Now forge people. Family. He has done this more than once in history. Where he isolates off people. He cuts them off from the culture. They're sent away. They're jailed. They're, they're, they're banned. Okay? So he can raise up a people after his name. He may also set us up to be so ostracized from this culture to accomplish his purpose. Would you just think on that? Would you just pray on that? Okay? I mean, things surrounding us, and we have our Christian culture, but but the rest of the world does not. And it's coming to hate what we stand for and who we are. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you make sense of us, of all of this, Lord, of this, um, of this opening up and exposing, bringing to light what you included in Scripture for the purpose of training us to stand in righteousness. And give us hope, Lord. Give us hope. Because you're at work likewise in us and around us. Thank you, Lord, that you hold our destiny in your hands. And we, we ask you, Lord, now, point us in the right direction and walk us into that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, Forge family, love you. We'll see you soon.